69 for today's message and departing from our series in the book of John and taking some time for a, a message uh, tailored toward our uh, Thanksgiving week. And so if you would turn to Psalm 69, just two verses I want to read today. If you would stand uh, in the honor to the word and we will read verse uh, 30 and verse 31 is all. And then if you can remain standing for our uh, welcome song right after that, we'd uh, appreciate that. In uh, Psalm 69, verse 30 and verse 31, here the scripture says, I will praise the name of God with a song. So we've been doing that this morning. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves, better than a sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise, but even better than that is to magnify him, to magnify his name, to magnify our God by the avenue of thanksgiving. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and if you would remain standing for our welcome hymn. Father, we pray you add your blessing to the reading of thy word, and we ask that you'd Help us to realize how much we have to be thankful for every day of our lives. And so we pray, Father, that as we look toward the Thanksgiving season, when we uh, gather together as family and loved ones and enjoy a time of feasting and fellowship uh, and uh, sports and other good things that uh, you've blessed us with the opportunity to have, I pray that above all that we would uh, keep a thankful spirit as we uh, go into the season and then head uh, on toward that uh, season of the year when we recognize the coming of our Savior into the world. We ask your blessing on our time together in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. And we thank God for that. Thank you, Angela. Uh, take your Bible back to Psalm 69. I want to uh, speak to you concerning the magnifying effects of thanksgiving. The magnifying effects of thanksgiving. He said there in the text that we read that uh, the psalmist said, I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. I'll use thanksgiving as a, as a means to magnify my God. And so that's the, uh, the uh, gist of my message today. In fact, you could go home now if, that's, if, that's, uh, if you got that. But, <laughs> but I think it's going to take me a little while to get that through to you. So, okay, well, let's work on that a little bit. If you've had the opportunity to go up to um, Palomar, it's just 20 miles as a crow flies from here, but the Palomar Telescope is rather famous one. It was the first one that was a 200-inch uh, lens that was used. It took them several years to grind that. It was uh, right after Pyrex was discovered. They, it was an accidental discovery, really, the, the what we call Pyrex, where you can, where you can bake with this real tough kind of a glass. And... And so up and previous to that time, they could have never conceived of uh, grinding a uh, lens anywhere near that size, uh, uh, 200 inches. And so uh, the time that took to finally uh, cast a, a usable blank and then to grind it down was years of uh, intensive labor and a huge amount of money. Uh, but uh, they did get it done. They got it in, and they uh, were able to... Uh, to get it uh, adjusted and, and focus, and, and it was uh, remarkable what they were able to see for the first time with the magnification capabilities of the telescope at Palomar. Uh, the thing about a telescope is there's three things that have to happen for it to be of any use, and, and that is, uh, number one, it has to be aimed, it has to be pointed at uh, something, and then it has to be focused, 
And then there has to be the capability to track that which you're, which you're uh, looking at. And the same is true, really, of our situation. We, if we're going to magnify the Lord, we have to deliberately aim at that end. If we're going to magnify Him, we have to focus. And if we're going to magnify Him, we have to keep tracking uh, on Him. And so we, we do see that. That's the concept that the psalmist is talking about here when he says, I'm going to magnify Him by the means of thanksgiving. It was uh, nearly every Friday night until his death in 1973 that an old man that lived in the south of uh, Florida would go to the coast and he'd bring a bucket of shrimp with him and he'd feed seagulls with that uh, and he'd make his way out there and of a Friday evening and then feed them and they'd all come expecting and uh, uh, he'd empty his bucket uh, as he fed them and then take his way back home. Uh, that uh, man was uh, Eddie Rickenbacker. He, in October of 1942, was on a mission with a, um, he was not the pilot of it, but he was on the, uh, in, in the uh, B-17 with a crew of six that were in it. They were flying to New Guinea. Um, the president uh, had asked uh, uh, Rickenbacker, who was a World War I flying ace and who knew a lot about the, the South Pacific and so forth, he asked him to fly a special mission to New Guinea to assess the situation with MacArthur, who was there, had been pushed out of the Philippines at that time, was in New Guinea, and the Japanese were assaulting New Guinea as well. And, and so um, he was asked to go there, make an assessment of the situation. He also was commissioned with carrying some highly sensitive documents to uh, General MacArthur, documents which he had with him. They were to land on an island that was midway between to refuel, and a very small island just had enough room for basically a landing strip. And they were to land there. They had radio contact with that island um, all the way in there, but the island didn't have the capability of, the, uh, of being able to give coordinates, which the, the uh, navigator desperately needed because their, um, the, the octant that they'd used to set their course had apparently uh, been jarred enough to where that it was not reading perfectly accurately. So when they got to where the island should have been, it wasn't there, and they, um, they flew, thought maybe they'd flown past it. So they began to circle around looking for it, and they had about an hour of fuel left. They were talking to the people on the radio the whole time, trying to determine where they were, and they even got a hold of another uh, station, another island that was trying to talk them down to. They couldn't find either place, and they were becoming hopelessly lost, going around in circles looking for it and running out of fuel. So they, they determined that they were going to have to ditch the aircraft in the South Pacific, which they did, finally down to one engine, and then that quit. And so they coasted down into kind of a rough sea and put the plane down, but it hit so hard, it broke some of it apart, and it was sinking faster than anticipated. They are only able to get out the three life rafts and just a few essentials that were connected to the life rafts, got that out, got the six men and Rickenbacker out into the craft. A couple of them were hurt pretty badly uh, in the crash landing, so they were in there as well. Uh, but they only were able to salvage uh, four oranges. One guy had put them in his pockets, and so that's all the food that they had. They had no water. They missed getting the water because it sunk with the plane before they could get a hold of it. So... Uh, they were, you know, lost at sea, and they had high hopes that uh, they'd be rescued, and so they rationed the four uh, oranges for a, a period of about a week. They made them last between seven men, uh, and that was all the, all the liquid that they had was the juice of the oranges, and so they ate them right down to the peelings and everything. 
tried to catch fish with the, with the orange rinds, but uh, fish weren't interested in that. And so, uh, so they uh, used up the last oranges at about day 8, and they went all the way to about day 12 with no food or water. So they were burning up in the South Pacific sun and freezing at night and uh, getting weaker and weaker and thirstier and thirstier, and uh, they were beginning to lose hope. Uh, one of the things that they were doing every night, though, was as the three rafts were tied together, they would sing hymns that they had remembered, and they prayed. So, and one man had a New Testament that they read from the Scriptures every night. They'd do this uh, without fail every evening, pray that God would rescue them, save them. And uh, uh, they, get, they got mighty, uh, mighty interested in the things of the Lord and the Bible at a time like that. And so uh, uh, they, uh, it was day 12, and they were just about, uh, you know, uh, giving up. And uh, Rickenbacker was uh, laying down. He had his hat over his face to, to uh, stave off the sun. And uh, he had, uh, they heard something flutter down, and a seagull landed on his hat. <laughs> All the men were staring at it, you know, and he knew that, uh, he knew from what they were, uh, what they were pointing and saying that uh, the seagull was staying there. So he carefully reached his hand up, and he grabbed it. Uh, and they, they were able to kill it and eat the seagull, everything of it, but the entrails, they kept some of that for the uh, fishing. And they were able to fish, catch some fish, and sustain their lives after that. It did rain uh, when they were just about to the point where they were, um, uh, where the only liquid that they had was from the, uh, from the fish that they caught. And so it rained enough to sustain them and keep them alive. One man who was very seriously injured did die in the course of the thing. But they were there 24 days on the raft before finally a Navy seaplane discovered them and got them back to safety. They were all nursed back to health as a result of that. But in memory of that, many years later, Rickenbacker said that he never got over his gratitude for God sending that seagull and he always figured he owed the seagull something for the one who sacrificed his life to save them. So uh, he, he uh, made that Friday trip every year. And I'm thinking, you know, we, here's a man that's uh, so grateful about a seagull that every Friday for the rest of his life, he makes a trip down with a bucket of shrimp and he gives them to the seagull. So how, how much more we have to be grateful to God for than that and how much uh, uh, our praise and our thanksgiving should be toward him. Uh, any machine that you have, a simple machine, always is the purpose of a machine is to make something that's harder to be easier. You take a fulcrum and you put a lever under it, and if you have a, a stout enough fulcrum and a long enough lever, one person can lift an automobile, you know, if the fulcrum is in the right place, the lever is in the right place. And a simple machine like that magnifies the strength of a man magnifies the power of an individual and so it is with the with an implement like a magnifying glass its purpose is to uh, is to see things in more detail to uh, to give uh, to give uh, the appearance of something being larger and it allows allows us to see things that otherwise we wouldn't see and it concentrates our focus on that which is uh, magnified and so we have uh, those things going on when we're reading about this passage here, when the psalmist says, uh, I'm going to use the, the magnification glass of thanksgiving so that I can put that magnification on my Lord. And we're going to get all these things going on. Our text tells us that uh, when we're giving God thanks, that's what we're doing. We're magnifying Him. 
Uh, so um, I want to challenge us with that as we think about uh, this Thanksgiving season. David's in a period of his life where he's in trouble. He's in trouble. He's in deep. He's in over his head. He's almost overwhelmed. And we see it there in the first verses. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in the deep mire where there's no standing. I'm come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And so he's in a bad spot there, isn't he? He's in a, a heap of trouble. And he's at that place where his prayer is a desperate prayer. But uh, it's a valid prayer because David hasn't just begun his prayer life at this point of almost sinking in the mire, in the trouble that he's in. He's been a person who's had a relationship with God well before that. But he's praying from a very desperate spot. And we see it in verse 13, what he says. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me, in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let the deep swallow me up and let not the pit Shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Verse 17, he says, Hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. I'm in trouble, Lord. Hear me speedily. I'm reminded of the story of uh, Brother Pete Ruckman tells. He said he's uh, uh, not paying any attention, and he's going across the railroad bridge, and he's... Uh, uh, I mean, a railroad crossing there, and he's got his truck up on the crossing there, and he's just putting along, and he hears a great loud whistle, and he looks, and he says, the train's so close, I can read the numbers on the front of the, uh, the tag on the train, and he said, I didn't have a great deal of time to pray along and lengthy prayer. He just said, Lord, save me, and God got him across before the train hit him, so uh, it wasn't a lengthy prayer, but it was a prayer from desperation, and so it is with David here. It wasn't a lengthy prayer, but he says, Lord, I'm sinking, and I trust you to save me and to help me in this time. There's a lesson here for us as well, and that's this, that we ought not to wait until we're up to our neck in trouble to begin seriously praying and talking to the Lord and establishing a relationship with Him. We need to have that as a daily routine of our life. So that when the trouble does come and when we can't feel the bottom and when it feels like we're getting overwhelmed, that we can have the confidence that God will hear us. David said it this way. He said, I know, God, you're going to hear me speedily. I want to pray quick and, and I, I know that you'll hear me quick. And so he's, he's at that place because of a relationship that already existed there. I didn't uh, get any information concerning the crew members of the B-17 and Rickenbacker's relationship with the Lord previous to this. Uh, so I do not know how many of them had any walk with the Lord at all. I know at least one uh, had some sort of a relationship with the Lord because he knew his Bible and he had a Bible with him. And so and I know that there were others that had at some point in their life a relationship with God because they were able from memory to sing the old hymns of the faith and to uh, cause those things to help them to make it another day and another day and another day in the suffering that they were going through. So the question here this morning is, do you, when times aren't neck deep in trouble, uh, do you have a walk with the Lord that uh, is marked by times of hearing from Him in His Word and 
times of prayer to Him as you have a time of prayer? Do you have such a relationship with God or are you going to wait until you really have to pray until you do pray? I want to encourage you to, to, to develop that kind of a closeness with the Lord in times that aren't where you're not, you know, waist deep and neck deep. Don't even wait until you're ankle deep. Start now and get where you need to be in a relationship with the Lord. Well, we see several things here as we look at the passage. First of all, we see that the, uh, we put God in His proper perspective, His proper place with thanksgiving. Uh, he, when, we, when we magnify Him with thanksgiving, He looks bigger to us. Now, He isn't bigger because He's infinitely big. I mean, we know that. He isn't any bigger. He doesn't get any bigger. But He looks a lot bigger when we magnify Him. We see Him a lot better when we magnify Him. When you and me magnify our problems, and when we magnify the world, and we magnify the, the, uh, you know, all the bad things that are happening in the world, when that's our focus, and when we magnify that, certainly we, we feel the effects of it. We know that um, you know, our, our dependence on the Lord diminishes in times like that when our focus and our magnification is on the wrong things. And so uh, magnifying the Lord in thanksgiving puts Him back in His right place. And I'm saying not just being thankful in the sense that we all should be thankful to each other, we should be thankful for our country, we should be thankful to our mom and dad, and uh, thankful to our uh, people that have been uh, helping our life, and thankful to our teachers. Those are all fine and good, but that's not what thanksgiving is about in the Bible. Thanksgiving is with a specific focus on God, on Christ, on our Lord. And so when we think of Thanksgiving this year, let's not like the world, the secular world is thankful. They're grateful, you know, the, the lost people are grateful. They, they, are, they say thanks and they appreciate things that are done for them. They're thankful, uh, you know, they, they uh, are. And so we, we recognize that people can be thankful without even knowing God. But they can't, we can't give thanksgiving to a God we don't know. You know? And so we have, we have God put in His proper place when we recognize that our thanksgiving is supposed to be unto Him first and foremost. I hope you are thankful to ever others and I hope you have a thankful spirit and that and I hope that that is the case. But better, even if you don't have that, better if you begin with thanksgiving to God. And put him where he belongs. He, he's the one then in focus. He's the one that looks big when the world looks smaller. And consistently practice thanksgiving helps us keep him foremost. Eddie Rickenbacker's uh, consistent practice of every Friday night going out and feeding the seagulls kept reminding him of the, the incident that had happened 50 years before or 40 years before, whatever it was, of his... Uh, uh, of his uh, being rescued because of the sacrifice of a seagull. It kept reminding him of that. And I want to encourage you and I to practice thanksgiving, to be, to be people that, uh, you know, are used to it, that we're used to it, that we don't just wait until November, the last uh, Thursday of November, to uh, actually exercise a thankful spirit to God. So thankful spirit does some other things too. It keeps us mindful of the true source of all of our benefits. The, psalm is also, the psalmist also said, who daily loadeth us with benefits. Ever think about how many ways God every day loads you down with benefits. And I think of that. 
I think of it, especially when I'm cranky about something and complaining about something, and I'm thinking, God every day has loaded me down with benefits, and here I am crying about some little thing that really makes no difference at all. Does it make any difference that my tire is 15 pounds when it should be 42 pounds, you know? <laughs> and I got to stop by and air it up, you know, and I got to go to the tire shop and I got to get a, a patch put on it, and oh, I'm complaining, complaining, you know? And the Lord's shaking his head in heaven and saying, I'm daily, you have a car, you have feet, you can walk. You have eyes, you have ears, you got hands, you got your health, and uh, uh, you got your brain, what's left of it, and you got, you got a lot to be thankful. I've given you daily loading us with benefits, and we're, we're thinking, yeah, I got all these troubles, you know, and, and I got all these woes, but wait a minute, let's, uh, let's recognize that a thankful spirit uh, makes us more mindful of his benefits. Uh, Thanksgiving allows us something else. It allows us to get free of the compulsion to gain and it allows us to get free of the fear of losing. Because when we have a thankful spirit to God, we recognize at that point that if we have anything or don't have anything, it's in God's hands and it's in His care. So we're not under this compulsion, I got to get more, I got to get it, I got to get it, I got to save it, I got to do it, I got to have it. Um, and we're also not on the other side of the coin saying, I got to have all this stuff because what if, what if I lose my job? What if I lose my health? What if, what if, what if, what if this happened? What if that happens? And, and I lose all this stuff, you know, well, it could happen, you know, it could happen. You could lose your health. You could lose your job. Uh, we could wake up tomorrow morning and, uh, government's taken over by AOC, you know, and she says, uh, money, your money's not worth anything anymore, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, we, we could, it could happen, but, uh, when our focus is in the place it should be in thanksgiving to God, we're magnifying him and all this gain and loss business doesn't amount to anything. Paul got it right. When he said, you know, I've learned how to have more than I need and I've learned how to live with less than I need and I've learned that everything in between is, is in God's hands and so I've learned to be content to whatever state I'm in, whatever condition, whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content, whether I have much abundance and more than I need or not enough for the basic needs and I just have to pray in my next meal. So it is. And so that uh, is something that will help us with that. I remember some years ago uh, down in San Diego, they had a power outage for a couple of days, and Phil Farrar, uh, uh, Cassie's uh, dad, was um, living in a, I think it was a, like a high-rise. Uh, he was either living there or he was in there anyway. And he said then that he was there when the lights went out and everybody was kind of panicking at first. There was no lights in, the, in any of the apartments and there was no... Uh, way to charge your cell phone and uh, there was no heat or cool or anything like that and he said uh, you know went on all day and people started coming out of their apartments and started seeing that there were other people in the same boat as they were and started seeing that they did have neighbors and started getting acquainted and learning people's names and their cell phones were going dead and they couldn't recharge them so they didn't have that to look at so they had to actually talk to people you know and <laughs> And uh, he said, he said uh, it was amazing. And people just by the end of the, you know, second day and the time that they were without power, all these people were talking and visiting and catching up and getting to know each other and getting concerned with each other and that. And he said, several of them, after, we, after the power came on, several of them said, you know, we ought to do that more often. <laughs> we ought to do that more often. And so uh, they were, they were uh, recognizing that, uh, you know, that the... Uh, the things that they thought they had to have and couldn't live without were really not so at all. 
the fear of the loss of things, you know. Some of you have uh, cell phone panic when you leave your phone someplace and you forgot it and, you know, your life cannot go on if you don't go back and get your cell phone, you know. Well, really, it can, you know. It really can. My wife left hers at the restaurant the other day and the only panic I had was somebody's going to find it and uh, uh, download all the information and, and take my $12 out of my savings. So, 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 so uh, but, yeah, we... You know, we, we uh, get attached to something. We think, man, we can't, we can't do without that. Got to have that. But uh, these, these uh, opportunities we have, like a Thanksgiving season, to place our focus on uh, our magnification on our Lord and our thanks on Him, it's a good thing for us. So, so we, secondly, we put our, life, our, our own life into perspective when we, have, uh, when we magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Um, our blessings are magnified when we're magnifying the Lord with thanksgiving. We just see things... We see, we see our blessings more clearly, you know. Or they're, they're, uh, we understand them better. Our testimony is magnified when, when we have a thankful spirit. Who would you rather, you know, listen to and spend time with? Somebody that has a thankful spirit or somebody that has a grumpy spirit, you know. Um, the more powerful testimony is not going to be the griping one. It's going to be the thank, thankful one. That's the more effectual testimony, the more powerful one, the one that will draw others to Christ will be the person that has that thankful spirit, that thankful testimony, and are able to maintain that in difficult times. That's a powerful witness. When the Mayflower uh, shipped out of uh, uh, Holland and, and the Netherlands was coming, it was a 66-day journey across. There was rough seas, really bad. A lot of people got really sick. Uh, and um, the crew were mostly uh, pagan people that uh, cared nothing for the Lord. Many of them were just really abusive of the pilgrims as they came. They were down in the hold and they were, you know, um, the bosun was, the bosun mate actually was uh, constantly, you know, haranguing them and mocking them uh, and mocking their faith and everything. Uh, They just, you know, they took it all in stride and they continued to tell them they were praying for him and that. And he didn't want their prayers, and he said, "I can't wait. Some of you die, so I'll be the and I want to be the first one to push the casket overboard and that kind of thing." And uh, they got about half where we got really sick, and he died. The the bosun mate died, and uh, the pilgrims didn't say anything about the retribution of God, but the rest of the pagan crew said, "We know God struck him dead." You know, they, the, these were unsaved people that uh, recognized that uh, you know this was not. An ordinary circumstance, and they were a little care- more careful about their abuse of the uh, of the <laughs> pilgrims following after that. But they got to the end of the journey, and any number of the the crew of the Mayflower, uh, to a man, uh, gave the testimony that they saw that the faith that these pilgrims had was the real thing, you know. And so uh, it was a powerful testimony to an unsaved crowd of people because they endured the abuse and they endured the difficulties with a thankful spirit. That's the thing that the crew could not get over, that these pilgrims kept a thankful spirit. They were trying to magnify the Lord is what they were doing in their, uh, in their journey over there. So with Thanksgiving, he's magnified. Uh, my uh, my, my uh, thing came apart on me too, so... Uh, that the sound got magnified there for a little bit, <laughs> but uh, our uh, testimony is magnified and our uh, time is magnified. Our time is magnified. You'll get more done in the time you have if you'll do it with a thankful spirit. 
George Mueller is a prime example of that. George Mueller, you know, from the um, 19th century was a, uh, a fine, a godly Christian man and, and converted to Christ and wanted to give himself. He was, wealth, he was a well-off business man before that, but uh, converted to the Lord and, and was convicted. He, was pa- he pastored some little churches there in the in London area for a time, but had the, had the vision to start an orphanage and uh, great need there in London. And over a period of time, his work became the largest or- orphanage work ever. I mean, it was um, no- nothing like it was known. I mean, well over a thousand orphans there. They took care of every day, uh, breakfast, lunch, and, and uh, supper every day, uh, day in and day out, year in and year out. And it was a remarkable thing. And they, he was often asked, uh, Brother Mueller, how do you get so much done? He accomplished great things. And Built, built huge buildings for orphanages and, uh, you know, schools and, and the church while he's pastoring at the same, all this stuff going on, you know. How do you get it all done? And he said, I, begin, I have to begin every morning with a season of prayer and thanksgiving else I wouldn't be able to get, uh, get it done. So, so taking some time, a significant time every morning in prayer and thanksgiving, magnifying God in his life was what made the difference. And, of course, his testimony was eminently powerful. It still, it still goes on today. Anybody that reads the account of George Mueller comes away a better person as a result of that uh, reading that uh, biography. And so it is. With uh, all of us, we have our time can be magnified by that. With thanksgiving, then our desire to do right is magnified as well. We want to do the right thing. We, you compare the desires of a thankful person with the desires of an ungrateful person. The desires of an ungrateful person are most often quite self-centered and quite indulgent, quite centered around what I want for me. But the desires of a thankful person are not that way. And so it helps us with that. It helps our desire to do right be magnified. I want to encourage us to think about that aspect of our Thanksgiving too as we try to get into the habit of just practical practice of Thanksgiving. Lastly, this morning, our Lord's giving of thanks often preceded some great things that He did. And you think of all the things that, uh, that He did. Of course, His... Uh, the great sacrifice of our Savior on the cross of Calvary, the greatest sacrifice of human history, was preceded by His thankful spirit for God allowing Him to bear the reproach of the sins of the world, for God bringing Him to this place. He gathered His disciples together not long before that, and they prayed together in thanks to God. They prayed in thanks for his broken body and his blood that was to be shed uh, for them. And, and it was a spirit of thanksgiving that he offered himself unto the Father. So then, of course, uh, you know, pre- preceding the uh, feeding of the 5,000, he offered thanks to God. Preceding the feeding of the 7,000 miracle, uh, he offered thanksgiving unto God. And preceding the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, he thanked the Lord publicly before the others as a testimony to them. Uh, so uh, before great things, uh, thanksgiving. I want to put that uh, over here in a practicum and put it to us. I want to say to you that I believe that uh, it's a lot more likely that God will do great things in your life and my life after we exercise the spirit of thanksgiving uh, for a time, don't you think? And I believe that it, that will be the case. Uh, so let's join David. Let's join David in praising the name of the Lord our God in song. 
but especially in magnifying him with our thanksgiving. Verse 32 in the chapter that we've been in uh, kind of concludes things up there. Verse 32 says, The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. If you're here this morning and you're uh, not a child of God yet, you haven't to come to the place that Christ has become your all in all and is uh, truly your Savior. The Bible says that the heart shall live that seek God. And so I want to encourage you this morning to seek the Lord and be found of Him. He, he will uh, make Himself known to you if you come to Him. He'll, uh, he'll uh, save you if you will trust Him. He'll do that. He's done it with all of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, and we all bear the same testimony. We all came recognizing our sinful condition, helpless, hopeless estate, and we realized that our sins separated us from God, and uh, we then were told the good news of the, of the gospel, and that's that Jesus paid the penalty for us. And all of us who have trusted Christ understood those things, and then we were amazed when the one that brought us to Jesus, told us this. He said, there isn't anything you you got to give. There's anything you got to add. There's anything you got to put with it. And they told us this. They just said, you simply need to believe and receive. And uh, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him as our Savior, we were saved and changed, made uh, new, a new creature of Christ Jesus. And that can occur with you just now today as well. I want to encourage you to do that, to, to make uh, certain that uh, you are a child of God. No, no need to be, uh, to be trying to get to the place of thanksgiving and magnifying God in thanksgiving until you know Him as your Savior, until you can come in the room with Him, uh, spiritually speaking, until He is your Father and you are His child. And so I want to encourage you to come in that respect as well. And then Christians, let's all ask the Lord to help us to whether in times of trouble or whether in good times, to magnify our Lord with thanksgiving. Let's stand together, give an invitation this morning, and I encourage you to come. Need to, if you need to just uh, take time at the altar to talk with the Lord about uh, our heart, our spirit, uh, maybe you need to pray for um, family members or loved ones, maybe you just need to come and say, Lord, refresh my, uh, refresh my commitment to being thankful for all you do for me. Uh, and then I encourage you to come and respond that way. Bend the knee before the Lord. Humble yourself before Him. And if you're not saved yet, if you're not sure you're a child of God, if you, if you um, know that uh, the Spirit of God's been working on you about coming to Him, following the Lord and being baptized and beginning to grow as a Christian, those kind of things, I want to encourage you to come. And, uh, and make that commitment uh, here at the altar. Will you? 549, we're going to sing Jesus is Calling. And as we sing, uh, will you respond and come? Christian, you come. Your coming will maybe be the impetus that will cause someone who's debating about accepting Christ to come. Maybe that will be all it takes to see some, someone else step out. They want to. The Holy Spirit's uh, got their heart pounding right now. And uh, they, they want to come, but they... They aren't, uh, they aren't sure. So uh, maybe my bending my knee at the altar here will, will be that which makes the difference for somebody else. Wouldn't that be great? Father, we ask you to bless the invitation. We pray that uh, your will would be done here in each of our hearts. Help us all as Christians that are here to, to cultivate a thankful spirit, a, th- a thankfulness to God, a magnifying God with our thanksgiving. And then for those that haven't yet 
come to the place where they've put their full faith and trust in Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would come and be saved today. And I ask you to bless each individual here and cause us to respond to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.